Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report Washington Roundtable. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. The Senate passed a $95 billion aid package for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan as uh, worries grow that the United States government is going to run out of money soon. Uh, but it's unclear whether a GOP-led House will follow suit in approving aid to America's allies. Former President Trump said he wouldn't defend NATO nations that don't spend enough on defense and encourage Russia to attack them. This as Vladimir Putin endorses President Biden and kills his leading opponent, Alexei Navalny. Estonia warns that Russia may attack the alliance within a decade. Pakistan and Indonesia hold elections and the administration issues the ultimate cop out that it no longer has leverage over Israel. Joining us today to discuss all this and more are Dr. Patrick Cronin, the Asia Pacific Security Chair at the Hudson Institute Think Tank, Michael Herson, the President of American Defense International, one of Washington's top defense and aerospace lobbying firms, former Pentagon Europe Chief Jim Townsend, who's now with the Center for a New American Security and the co-host of the Brussels Sprouts podcast, a must for anybody interested in the Transatlantic Alliance, and former Pentagon Comptroller Dr. Dub Zakheim, who counts the Center for Strategic and International Studies among his many affiliations. And this show is dedicated to the memory of Alexei Navalny, who had the courage to stand up to Putin's tyranny and gave his life fighting it. And our thoughts and prayers are with his family, uh, as well as all of those who continue to take the fight against Putin, including uh, a friend of this, uh, of many of our panel, uh, Vladimir Karamurza, who wrote a powerful piece uh, in the Washington Post on Valentine's Day uh, that I commend everybody to read. Uh, let's get into what is just another action-packed week. I didn't even mention uh, the Russian ASAT uh, anti-satellite, nuclear anti-satellite capability that uh, fueled concerns in Washington. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Also, Michael, uh, Senate uh, passed uh, before they left town a $95 billion package, aid package for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. Uh, this is as Republicans really transform their party to match uh, their boss's admiration uh, for Putin, unfortunately, uh, making Putin all the more empowered. I don't think it's a surprise that Alexei Navalny was killed just before uh, the Munich uh, Security Conference, one of the flagship transatlantic security events, probably the flagship transatlantic security event uh, on the calendar. Then uh, leaking of the news that they're preparing to uh, deploy or considering to deploy a nuclear-tipped anti-satellite weapon. And then Estonian intelligence coming out and saying the Russians, you know, are going to attack NATO uh, over the coming decade. Uh, you know, and Putin, again, has waded into American politics by endorsing Joe Biden, saying that he's better for Russia, you know, uh, which anybody, you know, on the face of it knows is an absurdity any more than, you know, Alexei Navalny today felt unwell uh, and, um, you know, expired. Um, does this change the vector on anything, Michael? Uh, ultimately, uh, because I think what worries our allies and partners is not only the inactivity, but also the folks that normally would countermand Trump are no longer doing that, right? Lindsey Graham is skipping Munich because he's now firmly in the Trump camp. Any one of these things should be enough to get lawmakers to act, much less all of this together. Walk, walk us through where we are on appropriations and whether or not the House is going to have the courage to actually pass what is desperately needed at this point. Sorry for the long wind up on this one. No, look, and it's an excellent question. And it's a question that I'm getting asked by, you know, the, the clients and my colleagues I work with in the defense industry uh, on a daily basis, right? And it was a another rough week in Washington. And we'll, we'll, you know, start with the good news, as you mentioned. Yes, the Senate did pass a $95 billion aid package for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. And they actually surprised everybody by passing it sooner than they thought because of all the procedural hurdles they had to go to. They thought it would take until Wednesday to pass. 
They actually uh, stayed in all weekend through the Super Bowl weekend and uh, into the wee hours of the morning Tuesday uh, passed the package. And 22 of the Senate Republicans voted for it. Remember, the goal was to get 25. Uh, so really not far off that, getting half the Republicans in the Senate to vote for it. Uh, however, that's the end of the good news, right? Uh, everybody's asking now what happens to this package in the House. And I, I don't. I think Speaker Johnson doesn't know what happens to this package in the House. And he's got reasons to delay. So the House left town yesterday for a long recess. So they won't deal with it then. When they come back, they have three legislative days until this first CR expires, uh, or else we have a shutdown. So they have to deal with that. Then the second one a week after that. So they really can delay talking about this until the earliest the week of March, March 11th. Um, right. So, you know, Johnson, uh, remember, you know, dismissed the Senate bill right when it came out because it didn't include provisions to tighten border security. This is despite the fact that the conservatives had worked to kill a bipartisan uh, bill that included border security in it. Now, Johnson could split the bill up into different packages for Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan, but he would need the cooperation of the Rules Committee to do that, so I don't think that that's an option. Uh, Leader Jeffries for the Democrats sent out a strong uh, dear colleague uh, on Tuesday uh, saying the stakes are high and failing Ukraine is not an option, right? And he's calling on traditional Republicans to stand up uh, to the pro-Putin extremists in the House who apparently want Russia to win, which gets back to your earlier point. Uh, and the key to his letter is that we will use every available legislative tool to get comprehensive national security legislation over the finish line. So here we go again. We'll talk about which, which opens the door, right? Yeah, which to, opens the door for the discharge petition you've been arguing for for some time. Actually. Yes, right. And this is something that was talked about during the debt ceiling. So the problem with the discharge petition is, is several things. One, uh, the Republicans are not going to cooperate with this until that all options are expired. So this is going to take months, and you know if, if Johnson's got to fail in order for them to do that. Two, uh, there's a lot of Democrats who are not going to sign the discharge petition because of their concern about support for Israel and what's happening in Gaza. So that will require more Republicans uh, to sign on. Um, I, I'm not dis discounting that as an option, right? I still think it is. Uh, but there are actually... Um, was uh, a new option that, that came up yesterday, uh, which I, I'm not optimistic about, but it still continues the conversation. As I've said, too, if this dies, it dies a very slow death. This is not dying anytime soon. So 10 members of Congress, five Democrats and five uh, Republicans, uh, introduced their own compromise, uh, Ukraine, Taiwan, Israel, uh, uh, border bill, and uh, it's it's trimmed down. Uh, it's about uh, about sixty five billion, and it calls for aid for Ukraine, aid for Israel, aid for Indo Pacific, aid for Taiwan, uh, support for operations in the Middle East against the Houthis, uh, but it also has some border policy uh, in there as well. Things like uh, changing asylum standards, remain in Mexico, um, being able to suspend uh, the entry of inadmissible aliens in order to help achieve operational control of the border. Um, so, um, you know, th this continues to keep the conversation going. Uh, I think there are some Democrats that, again, will oppose that. I think there are obviously Republicans that will oppose that. Anything that gets passed will have to be done on suspension, so require two-thirds vote. Um, but, you know, and, and, and you know, th we have to put all this on hold because we talked about before, appropriations, which I really felt we were on a glide path on. And now I'm starting to get really concerned. Uh, we have three legislative days left until uh, the government would shut down. And Johnson, the Speaker of the House, held a meeting with uh, both senior appropriators and some folks from the Freedom Caucus earlier this week, and it got incredibly heated. Uh, lots of screaming going back and forth where the folks on the Freedom Caucus side were calling for either a year-long CR, which with the 1% cut, or a shutdown. 
and the appropriators explaining to these guys, look, uh, shut down, we lose. And we have to concede on the poison pill uh, policy riders in these appropriations bills to get them done. Because again, this is going to have to be passed with a lot of Democratic votes. And Democrats are not going to vote for these bills with those policy writers in it. We've known that all along. And when the Republicans were in the minority, they insisted that the policy writers be dropped and before they would talk about uh, negotiating these bills. So, you know, uh, the shoe's on the other foot here. So it's, um, it's the appropriators are doing their job. They've been negotiating. They're ready to go. They just need to go ahead. Now, Johnson now has three choices in order to avoid a partial shutdown on March 1st. He can push for another short-term CR to give them more time, which he's pledged he wouldn't do. Uh, he could do a full-year CR, which I don't believe uh, can pass. Or he could do the right thing and pass compromise bills with the Democrats. And, and that's the outcome that we've foreseen all along, and I hope that's the way he's going to go. Because even if he gives the right wing what they want, they're still going to oppose these bills. So uh, we need Democrats uh, with a, such a slim majority, which we'll get to later in the show. Uh, this, this, you cannot function without working with the Democrats. Look, I mean, all of this is and we've been tracking this, I think, for some time for anybody watching this program and we do not do it gleefully is the death of a great American political party. I mean, you know, people are born, people die. Companies are born, companies die. Nations are born, nations die. Political parties are born and they die, whether they're Federalist Whigs and and increasingly, the unfortunately, the Republican Party as it descends into abject chaos. Um, Where? Just very briefly um, on the political maneuverings, right? Um, Mayorkas uh, dodged uh, getting impeachment in part thanks to uh, a friend of this program, Representative Mike Gallagher, the Republican for Wisconsin, and we'll discuss his uh, decision uh, not to run uh, a little bit later in the program. Uh, But Steve Scalise came back from cancer treatment and voted uh, to impeach Mayorkas. So he's now only the second cabinet member uh, ever to be uh, moved to impeachment proceedings. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, the impeachment proceedings uh, against President Biden are moving forward, but it turns out that the lead witness has just been indicted for lying about all the corruption allegations he's made about the president and his son. How, talk to us about how this affects any of the political dynamic, because, right, the Senate's never going to go for any of this. Well, you're exactly right. And, and your comments about the death of the Republican Party also you know, weigh on me on a daily basis as someone who worked for Reagan, Bush 41 and Dick Cheney and ran for Congress as a Republican. I don't recognize the party that I joined. Uh, and, and and my colleagues in the defense industry, you know, feel the same way. But I, I think, you know, we're very you know disappointed, too, that Congress continues to waste time on things like in the impeachment of Mayorkas. Um, you know, they they failed the week before. They, they got it done this week. Now that Steve Scalise is back. Uh, but, you know, the Senate now has to waste time on this instead of spending time trying to keep the government open. Uh, they will is projected that they will deal with it quickly and will you know, refer it to a committee and let it die. Uh, And now this whole effort to impeach Biden, which was silly to begin with, also is unraveling since their key uh, FBI informant now has been charged with lying about the whole thing. He's lying about these five million dollar bribes that Hunter Biden got from Ukrainian energy companies that apparently the president had benefited from. Uh, So all this is unraveling. And, um, you know, look, they're never going to admit that they were wrong. Uh, but you know, they were, they're wasting valuable time and not doing the business of the people. And I, I think it was, I think we'll talk about that later, it was reflected in this special election uh, in, in New York and uh, maybe reflected in the polls uh, in November. Um, and just have to take, uh, take you to the statement that Chairman Mike Turner, the Republican from Ohio, Chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and his ranking member, uh, Jim uh, Hines, um, issued a, you know, with the vote of the committee, an alarmist note about you know the imperative that the administration release all information publicly about uh, a Russian 
threat to national security. The fact the Russians are getting increasingly aggressive in space, is, and as are the Chinese, is nothing new. The Chinese have always, the Russians have always talked about nuclear anti-satellite weapons, which is what this is. They haven't deployed it yet. Uh, clearly, it's another part of right R- Russian nuclear intimidation. They 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 know how to get messages over to us. Um, but how much of this was actually? about the threat posed there or another agenda that the intelligence committee and specifically chairman Turner might have that deals actually more with FISA than it does this particular instance. Well, look, uh, I think it's really more the latter. I think it does have to do more with FISA. I mean, look, I mean, Turner, um, sent out this statement on Wednesday, which really freaked everybody out. We were all getting out Twitter and forwarding it to each other. Like, what the heck is this? Um, you know, where he said that his panels made available classified information to all members about a serious national security threat and saying the Biden administration should declassify all information relating to this threat so the Congress administration or allies can openly discuss the actions necessary uh, to respond to that threat. Uh, now, when it became a little more clear about what it was and how it wasn't really such a near term threat, uh, a congressman in the Freedom Caucus, Andy Ogles, then sent a letter to the speaker ask him to open up a formal inquiry into Mike Turner, accusing Turner of trying to block uh, the pending effort to reform you know, FISA, which we were just talking about, um, and uh, co- accuse him of a complete breach of trust influenced by the pursuit of a political uh, agenda. And, you know, John, this uh, Johnson was hoping to get the FISA legislation done this week, but they had to pull it from the floor yet again. It's the second time uh, in Johnson's speakership that they've had to pull it. He thought he had a deal with Jim Jordan, who chairs the Judiciary Committee, and Mike Turner, who chairs the Intelligence Committee, right on the bill and how they would work amendments, but the larger House conference could not agree on amendments. Now, you know, remember, uh, a lot of this, you know, the, the dispute centers around Section 702, which allows the government to collect digital communications of foreigners located outside of the United States. But the program's been right. you know, subject of a lot of concern because it brings in the communications of Americans and allows the FBI to search through information without a warrant, right? And that was one of the things they wanted to change. Uh, and conservatives are really upset about FISA because of allegations from conservative media that the U.S. intelligence community asked foreign spy agencies to surveil associates of Donald Trump and Trump himself during the the, 26, uh, the, the 16 election. Um, now, the FBI came out and, and also worked with the media to release examples of where uh, FISA helped stop terrorist attacks this week. I mean, um, there was one dealing with uh, biological weapons that they said that they were able to stop. Uh, and another was a potentially imminent terrorist attack against critical infrastructure. So, and without these tools, right. they would not have been able to stop it. And, and look, the speaker realized that uh, it's back to the drawing board again, but uh, I don't think as much as I, I, I respected Meyer Turner, consider him a friend. I don't think this was helpful to the effort to get FISA reauthorized. Look, everybody has a you know their own modus operandi. Every once in a while, there is a public component to this. I think that this was not the time to do this. Um, I was just in Denver for um, the Air Force Association's Warfare Symposium, uh, and the whole leadership and the space leadership was talking about the threats in space. You know, uh, General Salty Saltzman, the chief of space operations, you know, made the case that you know the that you know we've the space force effectively is like the merchant marine right dealing with a benign environment and now has to transform into a navy and all of the capabilities that are being fielded by our adversaries require us to build an entirely new space architecture which we are implementing now so you know it, it's not like anybody didn't know or didn't have warning and this kind of thing is actually better done kind of quietly as opposed to panicking the american people who are saying like oh my god you know the russians have nukes in space 
Uh, although I do think uh, Mr. Hines had a great, you know, n- nothing, you know, this won't this won't ruin everybody's Thursday, which I thought was uh, a good quote, even if he helped contribute, uh, sadly, to the ruining of the Thursday. Um, I want to go around the horn uh, on how the international community has to penalize Russia for its increasingly egregious behavior. I mean, clearly from Putin's standpoint, he is winning. Um, by the time the United States provides aid, there will not be qualified Ukrainian soldiers actually to do all any of the fighting, however many changes are being made uh, in the Ukrainian general staff, unfortunately. It is unclear whether our allies and partners can surge to provide capability. He's killed Alexei Navalny. That's no accident. Jim, start us off and go around the horn, A, on what we're going to hear in Munich, but more importantly, how does the United States and its allies need to respond to this? And actually, is there nothing the United States can do at this point as if, you know, you have one political party that's in the thrall of the Russian dictator that's both a butcher as as well as um, one of the biggest impediments to European security we've seen since the end of the Cold War? You know, Hollywood could never have come up with a script uh, as as amazing as this one, Uh, as amazing as real life is. Uh, it's just I, I sit here listening to uh, everyone speak and I'm just shaking my head. I mean, at Munich right now, you know, I don't see how at Munich they can have any other agenda items. But exactly what you were just talking about, uh, that, you know, the agenda is going to cover global problems and climate change and all blah, blah, blah. But we've got a real problem on our hands right now that's calling for leadership, very strong leadership. Not people running around with their hair on fire, not a lot of wheel spinning or or hiding under the covers, uh, you know, uh, or under your bed. Uh, you know, all of those things are kinds of responses that we'll get from people around the, the table there at Munich. Uh, and it's Correct. really worry, worry. The, the number one word is worry. Right. The administration is always worried. Right. That's well, that's the thing. We're well, worried. The, the administration is always worried and clutching their pearls. Uh, and in Europe, uh, I, I love all the allies and they're all great folks, but you're going to have a, a panic in some places, in some places, denial, in some places, uh, head up, head in the sand. Uh, you know, you're going to have all of that kind of thing. And we can't sort this out unless there is strong leadership from the United States to tell everyone to sit down. And let's start really making some progress on things that we know we need to do. NATO has laid this out in terms of plans and uh, and this type of thing. We know we have defense industry problems, uh, supply chain, et cetera. We know we've got that as a problem. I've been talking to industry for weeks on this. They know it. Uh, but we seem to have a lack of, of strong leadership that is pushing allies or pushing uh, the bureaucracies uh, to really start moving and not spin wheels. I think I've heard a lot of criticism uh, from industry that uh, working with the Pentagon, trying to get you know various kinds of initiatives going, uh, is just not being received with the uh, energy that it needs to be received. So I'm you know to me the death of Navalny, and we'll talk about this, uh, is is it, you know if there's anyone who thinks this is just going to be a passing problem. That's going to sort itself out. We're going to muddle through. Let's don't get, you know, uh, uh, you know, the Novotny killing should put everybody on notice what we're dealing with. The person right. in, in the form of Putin, who are we dealing with? 
And that certainly lends credence to the intel coming out of uh, the Estonian report about the Russians uh, eyeing uh, and, and a smaller ally once they've gobbled up Ukraine. So, you know, you and so I'm sorry for the tirade here, but I will say finally, and Michael, you are so good on this. You know, while this is happening, we have this Congress, we have these Republicans, this extremist group uh, that will go down in history as a cabal that is a stain on the United States, what they're doing there, an absolute stain on the United States and a threat to our future. That's what the historians are going to say. I don't think they care about this, these extremists. But but in terms of your question about how is this going to play on the Hill, Michael has really laid it out. And talk about shame. Shame lives in the House of Representatives. I'm finished now. <laughs> I uh, Yeah, exactly. I see uh, my uh, time to the uh, distinguished gentleman from New York. Uh, Dove, uh, you know, uh, pick it up. I mean, I couldn't agree with you uh, more. We've talked about this administration sort of worrying into inaction, uh, right? But however bad the worrying uh, to inaction is, it's better than what you get with uh, the other candidate, right? At least there is, a, at least, a, you know, even as you noted, right? They're slow, but eventually they get to the right place. Uh, but this time, really, it's more Congress than anybody else that's derailing the ability to do all of this. You know, I mean, Jim, I agree with you about the, that the Pentagon could be moving more quickly. But then again, senior folks in the Pentagon point out Congress doesn't give them the budget authority in order to move. So some of this stuff, they're just waiting and they can't do a new start on a continuing resolution. And it's a steady diet of continuing resolutions. Um, anyway, Dove, from from your perspective. How how does Washington and the international community have to respond to this? And how can Washington get our allies to a place where they're tougher, even if we don't get there? But I have to tell you, the president of the United States still has an enormous amount of effing power. Well, that, that's my point. Um, let's start with the fact that I don't know that the president has engaged himself sufficiently with the Hill. Um, and we've heard this over and over practically since he got elected for a guy who was in the Senate forever. Um, he should be having daily meetings till this legislation on Ukraine, Taiwan and Israel gets through because the rest of the world is watching that. Um, number one. Number two is the Europeans are trying. I mean, the Germans are going to hit two percent. Uh, the French have just signed an agreement, a security agreement, kind of like the British one with Ukraine. Trouble is they're not strong enough to face off on Putin. Now, the thing about Navalny is this is Putin's this is Putin's participation in Munich. If you recall, years ago, Putin comes to Munich and basically lays out what he's been doing ever since. And this is just right. another way of saying, screw you, all you, you know, talking heads. I've just taken out my number one opponent who I had put in the Gulag archipelago. He was all the way up north, which is where Stalin, by the way, was sent uh, when he when the czars put him in, uh, uh, sent him to Siberia and where Stalin then in turn sent a lot of other people to Siberia. This is what Putin did. And there's just no strong reaction to that. The president still has a lot that he could do, for example. There have been explosions in Iran. We could talk about that later. The Iranians are saying terrorists did it. If we did it, why the hell don't we say we did it? Why are we hiding something if we are indeed hiding it? And if we didn't do it, then the question is, why haven't we done anything directly with Iran? 
And you think, well, that's the Middle East and, you know, that doesn't matter to the rest of the world. Do you know that tomorrow afternoon at Munich, there is going to be two major sessions just about Israel, Palestine and the Middle East? This is a, a European conference, right? But you're going to have the uh, Qatari f- prime minister speaking. You're going to have the uh, Saudi pr- uh, foreign minister speaking. You're going to have uh, a, a, a special session with the president of Israel, Herzog, who, of course, has far less power than a president of the United States does. You're going to have the foreign minister of Jordan speaking. What the heck is that? Gonna, you know, when I used to go to Munich, that wasn't on the agenda very much. But the point is, the world is totally interconnected. And everybody is watching what the United States is going to do, whether it's in East Asia, and Patrick can talk to that, or Europe, like Jim just spoke so emotionally, with which I totally agree, or the Middle East. The president still has some power, and he's simply not using it anything like he should. And there's another problem, too. Putin's not going to stop. Of course he's not going to stop. He is trying to restore the czarist empire. And for those who don't know their history, in the 18th century, between Peter the Great and Catherine the Great, who was a couple of czars later, they took over all of Ukraine, all of the Baltics, and one third of Poland. And that's where this guy is trying to go. Uh, I, I uh, couldn't uh, agree with you uh, more, uh, Dove. Uh, and I would point out, though, that the uh, administration officials are saying uh, that there was a cyber attack against a uh, Iranian ship uh, that was collecting intelligence uh, on behalf of the Houthis. So at least there is uh, a, a little bit of that. Um, just a quick word from our sponsors. Uh, this program and uh, the family of Defense and Aerospace Report products is brought to you by HII, General Atomics Aeronautical Systems, GE Aerospace, Bell, Leonardo DRS, and American Rheinmetall. Uh, Patrick, um, you know, let's uh, go to your sense and how uh, the Chinese are per- uh, perceiving this. I know that I ask you this question every single week, uh, but there is uh, a lot, and and Russia's hand is increasing. Uh, unfortunately, our system requires congress to be able to do anything and when one party has dug its heels in uh, i don't know if we've seen there's any really good example in recent history uh you know we heard from air force secretary frank kendall on yesterday's program that politics really need to end at the water's edge uh where it had been the case for very many decades with some exceptions um you know what's what's your sense how are the, the the chinese sort of seeing this when week after week after week you're you're seeing, you know, none of the things aimed at weakening Russia appear to be weakening Russia, and we appear to be weakening ourselves more often than not. The Chinese are watching and learning, and they've got their plan in the Indo-Pacific, and they're executing it very quietly, and they're trying to deflect criticism, whether it's criticism of their heavy-handed behavior in the South China Sea by expelling the Philippines, you know, uh, pushing back on, on, on their own cyber activities by talking about uh, watch out for American cyber spies. Uh, criticizing the Gallagher upcoming uh, Codel to Taiwan next week uh, as sort of some conspiracy of uh, opening the floodgates of of Congress uh, members to Taiwan in the coming months. Uh, and at the same time, saying very little about the Middle East and Ukraine. Uh, Wang Yi's obviously in Munich. He's going to have discussions with uh, Secretary Blinken and others. But um, the Chinese are watching uh, what's happening. They see that we are troubled. They see that we are not looking strong. And Undoubtedly, they're banking that into their plans 
um, which are to bust out of the first island chain, make sure they can repel us in any future contingency over Taiwan, uh, and grow uh, their connectivity in Southeast Asia and throughout the region, and make sure they keep uh, India down uh, as a competitor uh, in the Indian Ocean as well. So those things are are clear what they're doing in East Asia. What they're doing in the Middle East and Russia is more opaque. What is clear there is what we hear from our allies. And I heard from a lot of allied officials this week in town. Um, the number one message um, is pass the supplemental. That will be the next indicator of where American reliability is heading. From from your standpoint, right, I mean, you're an Asia-Pacific, uh, Indo-Pacific security hand, but you're also a global security hand, uh, in, 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 in fairness, Patrick, right? And we're calling for American leadership, right? When we heard that uh, from Jim, uh, and we've uh, heard that from Dove as well, what are some of the things that the United States needs to do and needs to do quickly in the wake of the Navalny killing from your standpoint? Well, there was no way that, Putin was going to let Navalny get out alive. Um, so I think it's coming to grips with the fact that who Putin is uh, again and not um, letting ourselves fantasize that this is a man who can sit down with an American journalist and talk things through. He has no interest in the Baltic Republics or Poland. Oh, my God. Um, you know, um, it's not just, as uh, Dove said, um, what history tells us. It's also the um, cherry-picked, constructed history that Putin uh, is building, uh, that is really dangerous when you think about it. And she is doing the same thing in terms of the Communist Party of China, building a constructed history about historic claims. And these historic claims from these two leading revisionist powers in Moscow and Beijing pose a fundamental threat to American prosperity, peace, to all Americans. We cannot run and hide. There is no uh, you know, isolationist solution here. Um, it doesn't mean we want to get into World War III, but we're going to have to be a lot stronger. And we have strategic leadership means, yes, passing the supplemental, yes, putting pressure on our allies to do more, um, but making it very clear that there is no chance that force will be allowed to be used against a NATO member. Um, and you're not going to start to do the a la carte uh, alliance uh, sort of picking that uh, we're hearing out of Europe uh, in criticism of, of Trump's comments, because um, that is not an option. That's that's weakness. <laughs> you know, um, we need to make it very clear that we stand together. And when, you know, CNAS and Hudson are going to be two of the think tanks sponsoring the public forum this July when we have the NATO summit in Washington, D.C., we don't want this to be the last NATO summit. You know, in, in fact, we want we want to make sure that we're making more connectivity bet between the Asia-Pacific four countries who have now joined in with a NATO concept in terms of Japan, Korea, Australia, right. New Zealand, uh, rather than to see that uh, weakened. The indivisibility between security and on the bookends of Eurasia continues, um, and we need to show the strategic leadership that we can do both of those and at the same time manage problems in the Middle East that Dove's talking about uh, and there sending a signal to Iran uh, intelligently, but strongly, uh, is something that will reverberate in, in Beijing and Moscow as well. Well, let me uh, qu quickly uh, go to um, Michael, Jim, uh, and Dove with uh, effectively uh, the same question, right? I mean, I think that it's interesting to me that what the Russians are doing really is long, you know, in space, you know, it's 
it's leaving space treaties, right, to, um, you know, don't use nuclear weapons in space, don't militarize space. So there's a, a component of that. And I think a lot of this is 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 messaging, but also uh, intimidation. And that will then send uh, a signal to the Chinese that are also misbehaving very badly uh, in space as 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 uh, the, the Russians are. Um, and, you know, about seriousness, it was interesting. I was at AFA in Denver where the Air Force was rolling out a, a generational reorganization to get serious about great power conflict and its warfighting abilities. And unfortunately, at the West Conference in San Diego, the biggest announcement was, you know, whether you could put your hands in your pocket and some uniform stuff, right? I mean, at the end, we've really got to get serious, you know, tip to tail on this, uh, as opposed to uh, the, kind of the way that we're, we're doing it and the discipline that's required, right? I mean, there are loopholes, for example, in Iran sanctions that uh, I believe it was the New York Times that wrote a great piece, uh, investigative piece on it. Uh, Michael, Jim and Dove, really quickly, just want to get like, what are things that you guys, if you were recommending this to the White House, would do in the immediate aftermath of the satellite thing, the you know Estonian report, and most importantly, the Navalny uh, killing, that has to send a message that you could do as 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 president and not deal with, you know, a pro Putin house, M Michael, Jim and Dove really quickly. Uh, and then we'll hit a little bit more Indo-Pacific. And obviously, we have to talk about Israel and uh, the, the retirements in Congress. Go ahead, Michael. Well, look, again, I mean, the, the president's in a tough spot, right, because he, he uh, information today is very filtered depending on where people want to get their news from. And as I mentioned previously, he missed an opportunity by not doing the Super Bowl interview to talk to all Americans. His only other option now is that during the State of the Union address, right, is to explain this threat to the American people and then start invoking the Ronald Reagan. You know, I mean, Republicans like to uh, conveniently invoke his name when it suits their purposes. But Reagan would be, you know, turning over in his grave right now is what ha was happening to his party. And I think that he needs to outline this threat to all Americans and not talk about MAGA Republicans. Talk to them and how this threatens all of us and all of our safety, all of our security, all of our futures and our children's futures and why we need to band together to combat this. Right. This is his last chance. Absent a, a, a state, uh, an address to the nation from the Oval Office. This is his last opportunity to do it. He needs to take advantage of it. Um, I, But I would say it's 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 too sporadic. Communication is about continuously messaging and if the boss is not doing it and it does not seem the boss is doing it and everybody, you know, as we've talked about, this program is clutching their pearls. Every story is, you know, Washington worries about conflict. Washington worries about escalation. Washington worries. You know, that's the message you're sending, that the world is a very scary place and you don't want to shape it. And, you know, I, I love Frank Kramer. Uh, who was always really the tough guy and saying like, yeah, well, these are big problems and you need big solutions. Welcome. P put put your adult pants on and, and get on with it. Jim, I uh, and then I, was gonna say, uh, well, no, say, I, I no. agree with you 100 percent. Right. But this is this is really uh, we have two choices here. And uh, the choice right now the Republicans are offering is not an option. Right. Getting into bed with Putin and other autocrats, which is where a lot of the Republican Party seems to be headed, is not an option. So uh, Biden, I agree, it's got to step up. He's got to be strong, but he is he is the best option for national security right now. Yes, I, I believe an inanimate object might actually be a safer choice at this <laughs> point than the other alternative. And I say that apolitically, uh, Jim uh, and Dove, uh, and uh, let's be cognizant of time, but it's a big issue and want to get your take. Right. I got it. America should exhibit leadership. I think we can all agree on that. What are some specific things that uh, need to be done? 
uh, that go beyond, uh, you know, we're going to give Putin a strong talking to and we're very disappointed. Well, I tell you, uh, Vago, we need more Frank Kramers. Okay, Uh, seriously, we need more Frank Kramers in this administration. I well, I'm not going to get into personal, but but you're not going to get him now. Well, I know what I mean. It's like between now and in another week, I got what we got. I agree, Vago. I'm just trying to make the point that that, frankly, you know, I'm trying to make the point that this is this is something this is the image. This is the tone that's got to come out of this administration. And so as an example, if I were president, as you said, what we would ha- what I would want to do is is go to the services to start with and say, look, we've got to start pumping out a different image right now of all the things that we're actually doing to try to quickly improve ourselves right now. And why? In other words, there's a huge NATO exercise going on right now. It's going to be going on for the next couple of uh, next couple of weeks. Ninety thousand personnel from across the alliance, et cetera, et cetera. We need to start pumping out videos and stills and interviews of all this going on there. What's going on in terms of fighting back against the Houthis? Um, there's a, we, we, we can't, the, you, the point about the, the headline a couple of days ago about sailors being able to put their hands in their pockets. You know, I, I was in the Navy Reserve. I know the importance of that, but by God, right now, the Navy should start playing victory at sea movies on to, I mean, there's, <laughs> we've got to do better job with the propaganda part and vago remember right. that's what Lech Walensa said a couple days ago yeah, yeah. The propaganda side this has got to get the american public used to the idea that we're heading into a potential war situation the allies are saying this the allies are saying this publicly we need to say that too and we can do that by going to the services and saying you know let's stop the the you know the soft stuff here and begin to put out a picture of the services uh, sharpening their bayonets. We th- we've got to start doing that. I don't I don't think this, Demo- this Democratic Party and this administration could get the gumption up to do that. But that's the kind of thing we have to start doing now. We've got to get the public mind understanding we're in a tight place here, uh, but we're doing something about it. They are doing that in Europe. They are not doing that here. Uh, I would uh, I would agree with you. Hey, Jim, what we need is more ships. That's it. That's what we need is is more more ships. Uh, Duff, uh, I, I agree. We need more of everything, but we also need to sort of get our act together and prioritize and get, screw our heads on. Uh, and I, I really do commend the U.S. Air Force leadership for doing that. It was really impressive listening to the senior leadership and how focused they are on the war fighting uh, problem. I'm sorry, Dove. But, but what I would say is the Air Force leadership, that's really great. I'm glad you heard great stuff. They need to be saying this publicly and not to a, a, a group in a conference somewhere. They're, they're hiding their light under a bushel here. We've got to well, get what he said about what the Air Force is getting ready was great, but you got to make that public and not in defense news. It's got to be something bigger. And the administration's got to lead right. the way on Sorry, Dove. Over to you. That's <laughs> okay. Well, I, it just just very briefly, I would say that they really are transmitting and they are talking and they are communicating and trying to do it more broadly to, to their credit. Uh, it oftentimes starts at the trade side and on the specialist media, but they really are trying to broadcast that that message. And I think that it's it's going to get traction and they deserve credit for making their entire leadership available 
to reporters to tell that story, uh, well, unlike, uh, unfortunately, some of the other services. Fago, they should have started by the Super Bowl. Instead of flying the Thunderbirds over, it should have been a 20 B-52 <laughs> bombers flying over low level. <laughs> I mean, that's what you do. Hey, you don't send the, the freaking uh, Thunderbirds. <laughs> I, 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 uh, Jim, uh, you know what? I, I'm a big Strata Fortress fan and uh, the peace through superior firepower. Okay. Uh, not to sound a little bit like the, like Curtis LeMay. Uh, Dove uh, to you. And then we, we really um, have to talk a little bit about the Middle East. And I want to get to the uh, retirements and, and really quickly have to get uh, Patrick's uh, quick Indo Pacific take as well, because he is a key strategic intellectual uh, player with some brilliant ideas. But uh, go ahead, Dove. No pressure, Patrick. Um, well, first of all, I think if, listening to Jim shows you the frustration that's mounting uh, among those people who worry about national security. His uh, his tone of voice wasn't exactly sotto voce, and, and I'm totally with him on this. In terms of what the uh, president can do, because I think it, you know, the buck really stops with him. I think he should go directly after the isolationists, not MAGA, the isolationists, because they are leading people to believe that we can manage on our own. It's sort of like the old Irish phrase, Sinn Féin, ourselves alone. It doesn't work. People don't realize that with space and with cyber, we're not talking about boundaries. We're not talking about big sea, big oceans protecting us. It, this is not the 1930s where there were no ballistic missiles, where there was no cyber, where there was no uh, uh, space threat. It's very, very different. And the administration and the president need to make that clear. And not just in a State of the Union address, although I think Michael's right about that. There ought to be this ought to be a constant theme of every single presidential speech, wherever he is whatever day it is, whoever the audience is. The model ought to be, and I'm going to bring you back a long way in history to what Cato the Elder, the Roman politician, said, Carthage must be destroyed. And he kept saying it and saying it, and finally the Romans beat the crap out of Carthage and destroyed it. The president has to say why the isolationists are dead wrong, why every single Ameri American is threatened by space, by cyber, he ought to point out that cyber could destroy our entire infrastructure, that we have to be in front of our allies because otherwise we're going to be super vulnerable. People don't understand that, and they're not going to understand it after one speech. This has to go on and on and on. And only that way, I believe, Will the president really be doing his job and not just wringing his hands? Because, yes, it takes a long time, but time is not on our side anymore. And I, I can tell you that I was speaking only the other day to a leading Iraqi official who said the problem with you guys in the United States is you're essentially saying as long as you don't hit us, we don't care what else you do. If that's right. the impression, we've got a huge, huge problem. Agree with Dove uh, completely as well. And I think you you really have got to take the gloves off and work to, you know, just like during the Cold War, we made, you know, at, at first it was, you know, coexistence to a degree, but we were really duking it out. 
uh, throughout the whole thing. And it was a fight of systems. Either they were going to destroy our system or we were going to destroy theirs. And ultimately, we have to make this clear. We are going to bring Vladimir Putin's reign to an end. And we will use all means necessary in order to be able to do that. And we have considerable means in order to do that and in order to isolate them and in order really to to, to deliver blows to them uh, in ways that need to be important brushback pitches. He's constantly he's thinking he can get away with it. And ultimately, we have to make clear that he can't. Um, uh, uh, Patrick, uh, give us, uh, you know, t- I'm sorry about this, but a two minute Indo-Pacific. What are the other headlines that we ought to pay attention to? Dove, uh, unfortunately, you get about a minute on, on Israel and Hamas. I'm not sure what else there really is to say after BB has pretty much brushed off any U.S. concerns. And then, Michael, you're going to get two minutes to talk to us about uh, what's going up on the Hill. Go ahead. Well, the administration uh, celebrated the second anniversary of the Indo-Pacific strategy, which was inauspiciously rolled out just before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So it got heavily overlooked. But they put together a very ambitious agenda of specific, tangible things that they wanted to do, uh, elevating the Quad leadership meeting, uh, launching AUKUS, creating this lattice work of many lateral spokes, but, you know, U.S., Japan, RK, Australia, Japan, U.S., U.S., Japan, Philippines. And to a large extent, they've really done a great job at a couple of things. One, making sure that our uh, posture was stronger, but at the same time, it wasn't just a unidimensional military strategy. Yes, they need to do more on the economic front, but overall, they get some pretty high marks. Their big agenda item right now, bureaucratically this year uh, is to make sure that Congress goes back and adds in the $7 billion that is desperately needed to fund these 20-year-long compacts of free association that we have with the Marshall Islands, Micronesian Palau. You do not want to lose that strategic real estate that those compacts provide our military operations when we're trying to to have a long-term competition with China. Um, So overall, they're building a new security architecture, even if it's not going to be an Asian NATO um, and I think they've, they've done a good job. Um, on other issues in the region, the Indonesian election, while the official count won't be final until next month, it does seem obvious uh, right now that Prabowo uh, gained more than a majority and therefore won't need a second round. And so you have a, a once disgraced general who had, was dishonorably discharged, but who fought his way back and became a defense minister is now going to be uh, the next president, uh, partly because he joined forces with the son, the young son of uh, of, of Jokowi, of the current president. So in October, right. that they're going to come to power uh, and, and run a, a strong, independent, non-aligned country that's sort of balancing uh, China and the U.S. and very much trying to build up Indonesia's economy further. Pakistan's election is, uh, you know, these are the two largest Muslim countries in the world, Indonesia and Pakistan. Uh, and they are um, formidable forces. Pakistan, though, is in much more uh, dire straits because they've got no majority government. Uh, they're going to haggle over it. There are protests on the streets this weekend uh, planned. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see since Imran Khan, although in jail, uh, his forces are, are right now leading the minority uh, and uh, and yet maybe held out of power. Uh, Bibi Netanyahu continues to brush off uh, the United States and indeed the international uh, community. Um, Washington, you know, uh, um, if you uh, look at some of the news stories, you know, um, I think the Wall Street Journal reported, well, Washington accepts that it has limited leverage. Uh, and you're somebody who has said, actually, there's a lot more leverage and the United States has to use it, as we're, we've talked about here, um, that we have to look at international events on 
how you know how you help your ally and partner, even if your ally and partner might not be um, unfortunately smart enough to recognize that you're trying to help them in the long term. What's what's your sense, and what has to happen next, or is this sort of I, I mean, I hate to say it, but almost another sign of the administration's weakness, even in a position where it ought to have some leverage and, and some strength. What what has to happen next from your standpoint? Well, I mean, it, it's true. Friends don't let friends drive drunk, which is what Bibi's doing. Um, there are some things that we could really push them on. For example, they've started to get smart and they're using special forces to go after targets. Now, as I recall, and colleagues, correct me if I'm wrong, we didn't bomb the hell out of Pakistan when we got bin Laden. And it seems to me that the first thing that Biden should be telling Bibi is stop the bombing because they cleared out that hospital, the, the Nasser hospital complex in Rafa without bombing it. And uh, people are very upset about what they've done, but there's no more bombing. There's no need to have that. And that is the one thing that is upsetting people more than anything else. If you destroy the whole country, then it people conclude that all you want is ethnic cleansing. Maybe not genocide, but it sure as hell is ethnic cleansing. What can we do to be? Well, as I've said over and over again, beyond the 10 year deal that Obama cut, we provide Israel with all sorts of support, some that's well known, some that's a lot less well known. But the Israelis know what we're doing and we can tell them that's going to stop. It's going to stop tomorrow. Bibi cannot afford for the United States to walk away from him. It's as simple as that. And Biden, for all his getting angry and uh, apparently he called Bibi uh, uh, a name that I can't use, that's not going to change Netanyahu. The only thing that will change Netanyahu and force him to join in a coalition with his opposition and get rid of the uh, extremist ministers and focus, by the way, on the hostages and hostage families are in Munich as well. Um, the right. only way that can be done is if we tell Netanyahu, you're going to get the money that Obama gave you and you're going to get nothing else. My, my fear is that Israel ends up isolated in the wake of this, uh, ultimately. No, uh, they don't. it's not ends up. They already are. When you well, get their closest allies condemning them, you know there's trouble. And I'm not talking about the Arab allies. I'm talking about Australia. I'm talking about, you know, some of their right. closest European allies. They are boxing them. It's not, they, it's not the Israelis. It's Netanyahu and his right-wing right. crazies. They are boxing themselves into a corner and they simply are not concerned about the rest of their country. Look, I mean, then there's the Dutch move to stop uh, shipping American parts for, uh, you know, spare parts for Israeli F-35s, which is causing headaches. And then a growing move in Congress in order to put greater limits on people, uh, on our allies and partners and how they can use our uh, weaponry. Uh, we're out of time on that front. Michael, you get about a minute and a half. Talk to us. Mike Gallagher. Um, after a courageous uh, vote against impeaching uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, announced that he's retiring uh, from Congress uh, after six, I think, productive and successful years, including as uh, chairman uh, of the China uh, Committee, uh, a real thought leader on national security and international security and somebody who in another era would have had an exceptionally bright political future, uh, leaving um, Mr. Green of uh, Tennessee, 
uh, Republican stepping down, although I guess um, a bit of a victory uh, that Tom Suozzi uh, of New York's third district actually beat expectations and, and won on a tough immigration uh, message. Kind of give us, oh, and by the way, um, Larry Hogan, popular former Republican Maryland governor, getting in the race against uh, uh, Throne, uh, Trone um, to succeed Ben Cardin, which looks like, you know, the GOP could actually take the Senate in that case, given how closely run uh, this is. Although it's interesting to me how many people have told me, as much as I love Larry Hogan, I can't have Republicans take the Senate, so I'm not going to vote for him. And one of those was actually a Republican. Go ahead. Well, look, I, I think it's highly likely the Republicans take the Senate, right? I mean, with Manchin's retirement, uh, that's a goner. So that puts the Senate 50-50. So now with Hogan entering the race in Maryland, uh, there's, I think, eight other uh, Senate races that are in play and the Republicans just need to win one. And I think it's likely that they will. Um, so, you know, I think, but this uh, race in New York, uh, I, I do believe is a bellwether. I mean, Republicans are going to say it's not, uh, but, you know, Swazi won by eight points. So everybody thought this was going to be a, a much closer race than it was. Uh, and, you know, Republicans are trying to spin it that, you know, the Trump voter didn't come out. And actually Trump came out attacking Mozzie uh, after she lost uh, for calling her a foolish woman because she didn't endorse him. And if she endorsed him, uh, he would have won. Uh, look, the Trump voter didn't come out in the 22 election either. Uh, and the Republicans took the House, although with a very slim majority. But Santos won that seat with seven and a half point by seven and a half points. So I think it's yes, it, it, the border was an issue, but I think it's also can be perceived as, as a rejection of the fact that the Republican House is dysfunctional. And it's going to get worse with people like Mike, Mike Gallagher leaving. Uh, that was a shocker uh, to everybody that Mike was leaving. Uh, he has had, has had a meteoric rise uh, in the House, as you mentioned, chairing the China Subcommittee, also uh, China Select Committee, also chairing uh, the subcommittee in the House uh, on um, on cyber and intelligence. Uh, right, and exactly. he, yeah, so he one of the most great... successful all time bipartisan efforts in congressional history was Absolutely. the partnership between Angus King and Mike Gallagher and the leadership that they showed to it and the nuance and thoughtfulness and also shout out to their executive, exceptional executive uh, director uh, in the form of um, uh, Mark Montgomery. But anyway, you were saying. Well, I mean, look, Mike Gallagher, believe it or not, is only 39 years old. OK, so um, we have not heard the last of Mike Gallagher. I can promise you that. I think that Mike is going to remain a thoughtful uh, and leading voice in defense and national security. Uh, he's got young children, and I think the day will come uh, when he's an empty nester and we will see Mike Gallagher back uh, in political leadership circles, either in the Senate or uh, in a future administration. Uh, but, you know, it, it, you see a lot of retirements in the House. And I think it's more as a reflection of the fact that the ship is sinking, not necessarily that the House is going to flip, because I'm still not convinced the Democrats win the House. Uh, but it's just that the dysfunction is just too much for people. I mean, you here you have two, you have four committee chairmen retiring. Two of which still have time left in their chairmanships. I mean, Mark Green has only been chairman right. uh, for less than two years. Uh, Kathy McMorris Rogers, who chairs the powerful Energy and Commerce Committee, uh, is retiring, but she still has uh, almost three years left in her, her chairmanship. So it says a lot about how people feel the House is. And there's a great fear with these Republican retirements that they will be replaced with folks on the far right. Uh, who don't understand the national security threats that we face are in the camp of Trump and will make the House even more dysfunctional and, and more difficult to operate. Uh, sadly, uh, uh, Michael, uh, I'm going to agree with you. And in the first uh, show of the year, uh, in a uh, stunning observation of the obvious, we told the audience it's going to be a year. And 
pretty much every week has been new levels of chaos. Uh, everybody, thanks so very, very much. Hope you have a terrific weekend uh, and a great week and look forward to having you all back on again uh, next week. A reminder to our audience to check out our award-winning uh, weekly podcasts, Cavus Ships with our own Chris Cavus and Chris Cervello, who clear the fog on naval and maritime matters. That's sponsored by HII and GE Aerospace. The downlink with Laura Winter, who takes a thoughtful look at all things space, and our Air Power podcast that I co-host with JJ Gertler. Uh, that is sponsored by GE Aerospace. Uh, hope everybody has a terrific weekend. We'll be back again on Monday in observance of uh, President's Day with uh, the business podcast. Look Ahead will be on Tuesday, uh, and then we resume our uh, normal weekly programming. Until then, have a great weekend, and we'll see you again soon.